Welcome, Disciple Makers, and thank you for joining us. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board Discipleship Team, led by Scott Sullivan, exists to help churches take the next step toward becoming a healthy, disciple-making church. We've developed tools to help you, like the Watershed Principle, which identifies six main ministries needed to be a healthy church. The Spark Conference, a total church strengthening event that allows you to access keynotes and breakouts all year long for ongoing training in your ministry area. This year's conference features keynote speakers Fred Luter, Michael Catt, Todd Bolsinger, and Robbie Gallaty, as well as online and in-person regional events. Learn more at www.thesparkconference.com. We also have learning communities across Georgia to sharpen, encourage, and resource leaders personally and professionally. Find a community near you at gabaptist.org discipleship. Don't forget you can find our previous episodes on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and your favorite podcast platform. Now let's join today's broadcast or podcast. Welcome, friends, to Georgia Baptist Discipleship, and we have a fabulous panel and topics prepared for you today. You know, there's an old saying that I just made up. It says, we don't know what we don't know, so surround yourselves with people who know. And that's exactly what I am doing today. Uh, we've got Dr. Steve Parr with us. He's the executive director at the Gwinnett Metro Baptist Association. He's a former vice president at the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, and one day soon will apply for professional status as an avid disc golfer who can bend a disc around an obstacle like he's in the Matrix movie. Right now, um, Dr. Parr is nationally known author. Uh, two of my favorite books, The Coffee Shop That Changed the Church and Why They Stay, helping parents and church leaders make investments that keep children and teenagers connected to the church for a lifetime. He's also a leading voice in the nation in leadership development, Sunday school and groups ministry, and is partly responsible for me being in Georgia. So if you're not happy with what you see on this broadcast, call Steve Parr. Fun fact about Steve, uh, Steve, you've been in the fantasy football league. You've been in the same one for 32 years. That's right. Started way back uh, before we used internet and computers. Uh, so big avid <laughs> sports fan. And we've had this league forever. It's crazy. Uh, probably less than 1% of the league's been around that long. It's a lot of fun. That's crazy. Yeah. So I was looking up a few um, little pieces of data here. And being in a fantasy football league for 32 years, means that you've been in that fantasy football league more than um, 99% of the 100 million people who are playing fantasy football this fall. All right. So crazy. That's pretty notable for sure. (laughs) Matthew Gibbs is also on with us. Matthew is our, is the adult discipleship and evangelism pastor at second Baptist Warner Robins and one of our Georgia Baptist Discipleship consultants doing a fantastic job. He's one of the most high-capacity leaders in Georgia and has implemented and maintained a discipleship strategy at Second Baptist Warner Robins that is highly effective. And a fun fact about Matthew, if you guys don't know, he is the most proficient model airplane builder that I've ever met and will soon appear on the Discovery Channel's How Did They Build That Thing? Is that right, Matthew? I don't know about that, but it's just a fun hobby that I've enjoyed for many years, building and flying. It's a lot of fun. Super cool. 
Well, folks, listen, I want to remind you that this is a product of the cooperative program dollars that work. So thanks for giving generously to CP. And our team has a stack of resources that we want to give away. And, and some of those resources are actually written by Dr. Steve Parr. So make sure that you leave a comment. You'll get entered into that drawing. And if you share the broadcast today, you'll get double entry into that drawing. Matthew, I think you've got our first series of questions. Jump in here. Well, first of all, Steve, let me just say uh, thanks for being here again, and uh, what a pleasure it is to, to spend some time with you. Uh, we've had quite a bit of relationships over the years working with the state, and, and you and Tim Smith and other guys I've worked with have been mentors of mine for a long time. So thank you again for all your involvement and contributions to the work of Georgia Baptists and, and really strengthening churches. I appreciate that so much. A pleasure. So here's a question for you, and Scott, I want you to jump in too. Um, as I have traveled around the east central part of the region and really the state talking with pastors, I never hear a pastor say, Brother Matthew, my biggest problem is I have so many volunteers and I just don't have a place to put them. I just don't hear that. But instead, what I do hear is recruiting and keeping volunteers is one of my biggest struggles. So kind of a two-part question. Why do you think that's so hard today? And then secondly, can you give us just some what you would consider really solid, practical ways to recruit and train and keep volunteers? Well, I'll tell you a, a couple of factors. One is it is a reality. There's a shrinking pool. Uh, we know Christianity is growing worldwide. We know Christianity is the largest religion in the world. Uh, the Lord is still adding to churches daily, those who are being saved. But the reality is there are a few pockets in the world where Christianity is actually eroding. Sadly, one of those areas is North America, where it's literally eroding. And here, even in the Bible Belt, here, even in Georgia. So when there's fewer people coming to faith, when there's fewer people attending, there's a smaller pool to draw from. That is one of the factors and why it's harder now than it was 20 and 25 and 30 years ago. But uh, I don't want to stop there and make excuses. We've still got a responsibility to do that. But another factor is even among those who are attending church, there has been a cultural shift in the way that people engage with the church. And for example, the way we gauge regular church attendance, those definitions have changed. You know, when we were younger, if someone said, I, I go to church regularly, that meant they were there every Sunday. But now when a person says, I go to church regularly, they mean they're going at least once a month. So yeah. if somebody's there once a month, it's hard to enlist them to do anything. So again, that shrinks the pool even further. Now I want to add this and we'll let Scott weigh in, in terms of some of the dynamics. We've got to be careful not to focus on what the problems are looking at others, but we've got to look internally mm. and acknowledge one of the problems is this, regardless of the size of the pool, uh, this is going to hurt. Uh, just going to say it like it is. We are poor at enlisting. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, I hate to say it, we're doing a poor job of training people to enlist and having a good theological foundation or practical strategic foundation for actually enlisting. So therefore, I want Scott to win on the reasons why, but we do need to delve into a little bit of some of the how-tos to help people understand what skills you need to be effective in enlistment. Yeah, yeah, that's solid. I, I would agree 100% with that, Steve. And one of the things that really comes to my mind is that we must help our leaders find a place to serve where they're passionate or skilled. I just think that's critical because I was raised in, a, in the, the local church context there in Louisiana, where we plugged people into positions of service based on the need, not based on their interest or their skill or their giftedness. 
And that's just a, a, a recipe for conflict and unmet expectations. So, I mean, think about it, Matthew. Why is it that 15 minutes installed traffic feels like an hour and one hour for my son playing video games feels like 15 minutes? It's because when I operate in the areas where I'm passionate or I'm interested or um, I'm skilled or I'm gifted, my productivity soars. When I operate in areas when I'm not passionate or skilled, my productivity stalls. So let me just share three things uh, real quick here. And then Steve, jump back in if you've got anything that you would add to this um, that I have found to be highly effective in recruiting volunteers. First one is give them a vision of, of something that's worth giving their life to. There's so much in this world that we're being asked to do and that we're asking others to do. If we're asking them to come and just fill a spot, I'm finding that a lot of people either won't do it or they're not going to do it effectively. Like Sunday school teachers, they're literally affecting people's eternity. So help them feel that and to see that. Here's the second thing. Be clear about what you expect. In my opinion, unmet expectations in the local church is one of the main destructive forces in all of church life. So take the time to map out what you want that lay leader to do and to accomplish. And here's a third thing that's closely associated with this. And I'd love to get your perspective, Steve. Model it for them before you expect it from them. And this is arguably the biggest failure in, in leadership in a lot of our churches, because this is next level, um, where you give expectations and you model for your leader, what you expect from them. And let's be honest, most of our people were never discipled. They were never mentored. They were never um, modeled leadership in the local church. So when we, we give them a role and we say, hey, here's what we want, and then we leave them to their own devices, it'll take them six months or six years to really learn to be proficient in that. But if we can model that where they can hear it and see it, I just think that's crucial for helping them to get a firm footing. And Matthew, it's kind of like we talked um, two weeks ago in our staff meeting when I told our group, it's okay to fail, but it's not okay to be mediocre. Mm. Like we, we have to get to a point where our people know, listen, if it doesn't go well, nobody's going to beat you up. We're not, gonna, we're not mad at you for that, but it's not okay to not be prepared. It's not okay to not know what you're doing, to not give your best in that because we are serving the Lord. Hey, Steve, as you comment, uh, you know, I was just thinking about, I, I looked up knowing we were going to talk today. I looked up one of the books that I know you wrote about how Sunday school really responds. And there's that one section where you talk about Ricardo. I don't know if you remember that. And of course he's, he's the new Sunday school director and he realizes he needs leaders and he, and he keeps running into all these obstacles and he gets very frustrated. But one of the things you mentioned is a lot of churches, they never, they don't have a plan to recruit and train leaders year round. And, and it's only once a year when they meet with that, you know, that team or that staff that starts talking about nominating leaders instead of having a pathway, a plan for developing leaders all the time. That's right. Uh, so many churches, I call August when school starts back in North American culture, I call it the Baptist New Year. And so what happens is we get through Memorial Day, we get into summer, we're enjoying it. And then as we start approaching July, we realize, hey, we've got to get started because we've got to start new groups or promote our children or our preschoolers. We got to get going on enlistment here. And so we many times put our enlistment energies into, especially with Bible study leaders, into that July window. Now, what else you doing with July? Everybody's gone during that time. Uh, and, and we likewise do the same thing with other church positions. But the, the bottom line is, it's important that you have a 12-month strategy 
And I believe part of that strategy, and we'll talk more about it, part of that is training your leaders to always be enlisting. And I was talking to a group this week, and I said, for example, if you are a preschool leader, with all due respect to a nominating team, which does have an important role, you're not waiting on the nominating team to find you help. You're praying about and you're seeking out and you approach someone God puts on your heart. And here's a, here's a key right here for enlistment. You just go to someone that you love, that loves you and say, can you do me a favor? That's where you begin. They say, well, what do you need? Because when you ask a friend for a favor, they're going to help you if they can. Will you do me a favor? What is it? Hey, listen, I lead a preschool group. Can you come in and give me a hand? Now, just come and giving you a hand with no responsibility. And Scott, you mentioned you've got to model it. But when they see you modeling and the commitment and engaging with the kids or the teens or whoever it is, I've seen so many leaders come in to help out and we end up moving them into a position over time where they're actually leading a group on their own. Uh, so you begin there, but you can't wait until July to do enlistment. You've got to be thinking about it all year long. Mm -hmm. Hey, Steve, I want to just drop a nugget here and then I'm going to go straight into another question for you. Um, probably the biggest practical thing that I saw and I did was a part of as a lay leader in local church. Um, it was always hard to get youth and children workers, right? And we're always struggling with that. So Gavin and I lead pastor myself, I was equipping pastor. We would always take a day a year and we actually would serve in the children's area and it would be during the worship service, keeping kids in the back or, or during that life group Sunday school hour. And we always saw, this is just maybe for leaders who are looking, hey, maybe, maybe take a next step in what you do. We always saw a bump in people who were willing to serve when they saw the leaders of the church who are typically in front of people, step back away from that role, jump into that leadership position and say, this is important enough that even us who typically preach on Sunday morning, we're going to serve in these areas. So maybe that's a, a nugget that will help as well. Now, Steve, the last time that you were here, we talked about an article that you'd written four keys to getting your Bible city groups back post COVID a great article it helped a lot of people. And we may drop that again in here, but I want to peel back and go one layer deeper from that discussion and, and talk some current trends and some next steps for a church that want to be healthy and stay healthy. So here's one, in my opinion, church hopping is at an all-time high, okay? In your opinion, why are so many of our members bouncing from church to church? It's almost like they're in a holding pattern before they commit. It's like they're dating people to see what they can get the most from. And how is this affecting discipleship and the health of the church? Any thoughts here? I do. And, and one is the most obvious is a consumer mentality here in modern day North America. That is a reality. You can't get around that. Uh, one of the blessings of living where we do, people have a lot of choices where it comes to food and fast food, whether it comes to clothing, when it comes to recreational pursuits. And that does bleed over into our mental models of how we approach church. And you can try to spiritualize it all you want. But the reality is, you know, people are, you know, they're, they're subject to those things. And you just got to be aware uh, that is going on. But like with uh, the issue I mentioned a while ago, we don't just need to look at the other side. We need to look at ourselves. And we've got to ask ourselves, are, are we neglecting to evaluate loss when it happens? In other words, okay, if I've lost 27 members this year, or if I've lost six members this year, why did they leave? You say, I don't know. Well, have you asked? Uh, I think that exit interviews are important. Uh, mm. And, and we, we, we ask people. Now, I want to say this. Uh, one thing's important is I, I say leaders never beg. 
And if somebody's leaving or if I got a step member, I'm not going to beg them to stay, Praise but I do want to know why they're leaving. Now, what I'm looking for here, and by the way, I was in a church as an interim pastor for about a year. They'd had a big loss. We literally got on the phone and started calling people and said, hey, listen, we're not judging, not asking. Just give us the bottom line. And we compiled a lot of answers. We began to see some patterns for why people were living. Excuse me, why people were not living, but leaving. And then we, uh, as a staff, uh, we began to address some specific issues that they had been ignoring because it was coming through loud and clear. So the loss was not just a result of the cultural things. We were causing part of the loss. Mm. You got to be intellectually and brutally honest, like a good, great, brutally honest with yourself. Say, here's what's going on. Don't blame it on the culture. Look at yourself. And I, and I want to say this one other thing here too. You've got to be uncompromisingly adaptive. What I mean by uncompromisingly, we don't, we're not going to compromise the scripture, the word of God, our core values, but we do need to adapt sometimes, adjust and change to the degree we're not violating our biblical beliefs and core principles and so forth. And that's one of the key things you've probably read, maybe you, the book Canoeing the Mountains, which is very popular right mm -hmm. now, leadership. It talks about adaptive leadership. Mm -hmm. With churches, we've got to be adaptive to the degree we're not violating our again, theology and so forth, but you can't do that without knowing why people are leaving. So are you doing that? Or are you just letting people go and saying, well, it's just the way it is. People are church hopping nowadays. So it's not the issue of people coming in, it's the issue of people leaving that you need to be looking at. Yeah, that's good. And I think one of the really hallmarks of great leaders is walking that line between the adaptive leadership, because when people leave, a lot of times that can, that can speak to us. So some things, Hey, we need to pay attention to these are some things we can get better at. So that adaptive leadership. And then the other side of that is just Holy spirit calling people to a, a high level of accountability and leadership that walk in that fine line really is where I see great leaders earn their marks. And Matthew, you know, part, uh, Steve brought up a great point, this idea of consumer Christianity, this mindset, and of course it's not new. I mean, we've dealt with this our whole life and many of our churches that were built on these systems where we promised bigger and better products and we highlighted attractional leaders with big platforms and programs. So my question, Matthew, for you, what advice do you have for leaders who want to guard against that consumer mindset or maybe move away from that? But still, here's, I mean, let's just be honest. You know, we can make some decisions and we can move away from that and we can stand against that. But at the end of the day, if all of our people lead, leave the church, because we're calling to a certain thing, we don't have a church anymore. So how do you, what are some practical nuggets that you could jump in right here? Good question. And, and let me just clarify, Steve, what you're saying, because we're using the term adaptive leadership. What we're really asking Baptists to do is change, right? Hmm. <laughs> and that's a big hard word for us. It sometimes. is, for sure. Uh, you know, something I learned, I guess, really early in, in ministry uh, with some, some really great mentors who taught me this, because we live in this culture, like Steve said, where, you know, the consumer mentality is just a part of our culture. We're tempted oftentimes to buy into that. We've got to, we've got to woo them. We've got to win them with, with what we're doing. But the problem is we can never out entertain the world. We'll always fall short there. And so, and, and that was the phrase, don't try to out entertain the world. Now there's nothing wrong with doing things well and having a high level of excellence and, and expectation in what you do. Uh, but the one thing I've learned is you, you ought to be intentional about what you're doing hmm. and, and, and of course be biblical, solid, uh, be aware of some of the, uh, maybe the trends in, in society and, and in our culture, 
but really develop what I would call a pathway or a plan for what you're trying to do to people. Uh, and Steve, you may remember this, Scott, I, you probably do too. A number of years ago, like we put out what was called the model in process. And, and basically what it was is it was a complicated chart about developing a pathway for what you're trying to do to people. Mm. So if you're intentional in what you're trying to do and you do that well, you're going to keep, I think, people and grow them and mature them in their faith and develop them into what we would call disciples who are on the pathway to, to learn how to minister and serve. Uh, they're connected uh, relationally to people in your church, which is, which is a huge thing, uh, keeping people at your church. They're growing in their faith. They're serving, and, and hopefully they're helping the process of making other disciples to do the same. Yeah, that's good. And I, Matthew, I, I just uh, finished reading um, a book by Mark Ganey over in Alabama, which really came from the heart of Daniel Edmonds, but it's called Four Invitations, and it really speaks to what you're talking about. So, you know, what they talk about, the four big invitations that Jesus gave for everybody, which gives us that that pathway or that intentional process, and it helps to keep people away from a consumer mindset because it keeps us focused on really what is most important. He said the first one is to uh, to come and see where they're coming to, they experience Jesus, that salvation, that conversion experience, and they see that the power is real. And then it's come be with me where you're doing life with Jesus, but also with the local church and you're connecting in there and you're growing in Christ likeness. And then the third was follow me, which is that in all of those examples that we see in scripture, there's a, a call to a deeper commitment with Jesus. Some may call it lordship or, or whatever you may say there, but it's follow me. It's come all in and walk with me talking to Jesus. And then the fourth one was abide in me. And when we abide, which I call the, the key to long-term spiritual maturity, that abiding in Christ is where we learn not just to grow and not just to connect with people, but to reinvest that into others. So man, just really good. Matthew, I think you've got a, another set of questions here. I do. Uh, and let me just, uh, let me just ask this one here, Steve. Um, Scott mentioned uh, in a broadcast about a month ago how deeply our lay leaders need uh, training and encouragement. Mm -hmm. One of the tools that we have developed in response to that need is what we call the Spark Conference. Uh, there's five locations in Georgia uh, and even a digital pr premiere later in August. Uh, and both, both of these things, we believe, will help us successfully train uh, leaders. Uh, do you guys, Steve, you and Scott, do y'all have suggestions for how to begin training lay leaders? Um, we talk a lot about training and, and some churches don't train at all. So, you know, what's, what's a, a good frequency for training? Uh, and um, uh, how can, how do you think the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, Scott, you can answer that. And, and Steve, associations, how can we help with that? How can we help provide that kind of training that they need? No, a good question. It is a critical question. And I will tell you the, the one tangible thing that we can measure that impacts the potential growth. Once that growth, making disciples, people come to Christ, the tangible thing we can measure is the training system of a church. And it is a fact. And I've, I've studied this over and over and over again, is that you can attach the training of a church and the likelihood of progress or growth in a church and vice versa, the lack of training would decline in a church. Now, I want to say uh, to get spiritual with you here that training is not biblically described. It is, I believe, biblically prescribed. Hmm. When you look at Ephesians chapter 4, 11, 12, it talks about the uh, 
people being placed church pastors, evangelists, teachers, et cetera, it says they're placed there so that if they have time, they will train their members, or if they feel like it, they will train their leaders, or if they think it's a good idea, they will train. That's not what it says. It says they've been placed there to equip saints to do ministry, paraphrasing there. Good word. It's not a suggestion. It's a, this is it. And if you'll read down to verse 16, it's interesting, and, and it's, I could preach this text. I love it. I love to use it. They talk about this causes the growth of the body. I don't know if a text in scripture is more clear about what causes growth in a church. That's what the body is here, by the way, than this text. And it begins with, it begins with training your members, equipping the saints to do the work of ministry. So I, I want to say a couple th things here about how you do that. To begin with, the minimum is you, if you don't have anything to, I say you train in drips. You say, what are you talking about? I was in a church and I was interim pastor. I was only there a day a week. And so uh, with all the technology we got today, I use a thing called Screencast-O-Matic on the computer, very simple. And I would record a five-minute nugget of uh, e encouragement. Now, not just uh, information or announcements. It was not an announcement. I might do one at the end. It was one training nugget to help them be a better leader, a better teacher, a better equipper, a better enlist, just one little nugget a week. And I call it the par five. You know, I just, you know, picked up on my name here, the par five. I sent it out. I, I recorded every Monday, had somebody send it out to every teacher every Tuesday. And so they were getting five minutes of training a week. See, drip, drip, drip. Yep. That may not sound like much, but after, you know, four or five months, they'd received a couple of hours of training. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting when I left that church, they were saying, man, we missed the par fives. It didn't take me a lot of time. It didn't take them a lot of time. So there's more than one way to skin the cat. I think you need to be more uh, strategic and systematic than that. But start there, you know, and then I would add to that is schedule one gathering with your leaders this year. Minimum one. Start with one on your location uh, where you're training your leaders, where you're either by video, you're doing it. But, but it's important here uh, that you do it well and that it's worth their time and that you gather. And we have found through the years there is something to gathering regularly. Because if you meet once a year and people miss, it's another year before they get another opportunity. If you can meet four times a year, it makes a big difference. And again, if you read my book, Sunday School Really Works, we really dissected that, you know, quantified it in terms of research, that it does make a difference that, that four times a year was kind of a tipping point where churches tended to be seeing growth versus decline. So I encourage you to do that. And I'll add one more thing here before I turn to Scott to share some things. Tap into what is already available. Mm. You don't have to create things because the Spark Conference is right there. It's like on a silver platter. And you may think, well, Steve, I've got 11 teachers. I can only get two to participate. Well, don't penalize the two because of the other nine. Amen. Train the trainable. Uh, and I'm going to tell you a little known secret about the growth of your Bible study groups in Sunday school. Don't tell anybody I told you this. Here it is. I'm going to do it like Joe Biden. Not everybody has to grow their class in order for your church to grow. Here's mm. the bottom line. If you get if you get a third of your classes growing, your groups growing, your church will grow from those one third. Mm, Train good. the trainable. So tap into what's going on in your association uh, with the state like the Spark Conference. And this is not a commercial for the Spark Conference. It is and it's not. I'm saying it because it's true. 
not because we're on this uh, podcast or this uh, uh, webinar, uh, train the trainable and tap into those opportunities that are offered locally. I cannot believe, guys, I've got something coming up called Growing from Zero to 100, okay? It's free. It's for our pastors. I'm taking pastors who started with nobody, them and their family, and grew from nobody to over 100 in worship. It's a no-brainer. You know what is amazing? The pastors who need it least are the ones who will attend. And I'm just amazed that pastors offer it twice, a two o'clock and a 6 p.m. Yeah. And I love I love my pastors, but some won't even take the time to do it. Man, it's right in front of you. Take advantage of those things in your association, the things that the state offers. That is so good. And I'm, I'm hesitant to, to even try to add anything to that, Steve, because that is so good. But at the end of the day, Matthew, we've got to figure a way, a way to, to move our people from being the recipients of the church's mission to responsible for the church's mission. Absolutely. And we can't do that unless we are effectively training them. And uh, gosh, I love the idea of training the, the trainable, those who are willing to be trained. Of course, we know that those are the ones who are making a, a big difference. Let me, let me say, uh, give you three things here. And some of them may be a little just similar to what Steve said, just a different way. But first, put it on the calendar. Don't wait till you have all your ducks in a row. Don't, make, don't wait till you have all of your questions answered. Put training on your calendar and let your people know. Because guys like me, you can't tell me two weeks ahead of time and expect that I'm going to show up. Right. I need, I need six months or a year ahead. There's no reason. If you want to have three trainings, four trainings, six trainings, that we can't put that on the calendar, let our people know where we can plan on that. The surest way to fail is to have good intentions and poor execution. Here's the second thing. Network with people who know. Steve talked about this. We, we just don't know what we don't know, so surround yourself with people who know. And that's why state conventions exist. That's why guys like Steve, these associations, these executive directors exist. And it is to serve you in the local church. And uh, let me just add a little side piece to this as well. There's no substitute for working hard. You know, sometimes we want a quick fix, but the reality is the best things that we come up with, the, the best wins that we experience, they come when we work hard and it takes effort. So don't be afraid to work hard and, and to call your people to a higher level of expectation and leadership. Um, and one last thing, just watching these broadcasts, you know, these Georgia Baptist discipleship, bringing on people like Steve and Matthew, they really are incredible. And I never had this in, in places where I've served in over 30 years in the local church. This is every two weeks you can get solid leaders giving solid wisdom. So you can surround yourself with people, you know, by watching this broadcast. And Steve, you, so you're speaking at the, at the Spark Conference, right? What are, do you remember a couple of the sessions that you're going to be leading at that? Because I'd love for our people to, to learn more about um, these things by coming to the Spark Conference and yeah. coming to your breakout. Yeah, one of the things is, you know, the why they stay, what what it just keeps kids connected to church into their adult lives. And uh, then you're helping your groups connect, uh, connecting with your members, but also with the unchurched community, connecting them to your groups. So those couple of things I'll be covering and uh, looking forward to that, by the way. Yeah, that's great. Hey, and, can I add one more thing to our previous yeah. things? You've got so important. If you want to quickly evaluate your groups and where you are as far as training goes, it's one simple question. Ask one of your leaders, when is the next training that you will be participating in? And if they don't know the answer to that question, that's the problem right there. There's mm. not a plan. There's not a strategy. Mm. Every one of your leaders should know what the next training opportunity is, whether it's coming up next week or six months from now. And uh, in many churches, sadly, uh, you've asked a leader, they, they don't know what's coming up next. There's no plan. So I just wanted to follow up with that. That is so strong. Matthew? 
just a second. You, there are a couple of nuggets there. You know, Steve, one of the things you talked about is the importance of intentionality in planning. Right. And so many of, of, of our guys, uh, unfortunately, are led by the tyranny of the urgent instead of having an intentional plan. Uh, and there's so, there's so many things going on. There's always something to do. One of the things that uh, you and, and Tim Smith taught me early in ministry was to set aside some time to plan a year, year and a half out training and, and preparation. And the other thing I always did, if there was an opportunity to host a training, associational training or a state training, I would volunteer our church because I knew I was more likely to get my people there if it was in my church. And so, right. I mean, just that was just one of the key things I always did to, I was always willing to say, hey, we'll host it because I knew I could get more folks there. That's right. The, the closer it is to your proximity, the more people you can get involved. So no, you need to take advantage of that for sure. And I want to add this also because talking about, you know, what needs to be done. Some of you out there are doing these things and we're just singing your tune. And I want to just commend you mm -hmm. and thank you. So I don't think we're being uh, negative Nelly here on all this because some of you are doing this. Some of you just need to tweak it a little bit. You're really doing some, but maybe you picked up a nugget today. We use that word nugget a lot today, but you picked up a nugget you could use, you know, to kind of improve what you're doing. Uh, but if you're if you're way behind, hey, don't be discouraged. We're not getting on to you. We're trying to we're trying to cheer you on because uh, you can be more effective and reach more people and disciple more people. But training is a, a an integral component because Andy Anderson a long time ago said an untrained soldier is nothing more than a target for the enemy. Mm. Now, I fear many of our people we love in our churches are untrained soldiers and they're not effective, not because they're not uh, don't have capability. We haven't given them the tools to do those things. So if we want to encourage you today uh, to do to be more effective in your equipping of your leaders and the Spark Conference, again, is a no brainer. Uh, what's going on in your association? Take advantage of those things. And uh, again, if you're asked an uh, opportunity to host something, take advantage of that because you'll get more of your leaders there. Matthew, that was a good word there, brother. Uh, and that's a great quote, Steve. I am writing that down about the soldiers. So and the, the truth is our leaders can either remove the lid or be the lid on gospel impact for our team based on whether we are effectively training our leaders. So let's address that. Now, uh, let's, let's bring the ship into port here with one final question. Um, Steve, I'm wondering about current trends and future trends that are going to affect Sunday school groups, ministry, local church life. Do you have anything that you would add here? And I'd love to hear from you as well, Matthew. I've got, I've got two and maybe three. The third one I'm not as sure about, but th these are real. Uh, the one trend is the North American generational erosion. There's two things. The North American erosion I described earlier, there's also a generational erosion going on. Our most saved generation are our senior adults. Uh, it's about 65% have a faith relationship. Only God knows the heart, but as we try to measure this, boomers, it goes down to 45%. It gets, it gets scarier and scarier and scarier when you go down to Generation Z, by the way. You probably saw the data in the last four weeks, two studies have come out, one noting that uh, belief in the integrity of scripture, inspiration of scripture is an all time low in America. And interestingly, guys, that data of the number that believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God within 2% matches the number of people that regularly go to church. If you go check that out, it's amazing how that mm. tracks one another. And the other thing is that atheism among adults in America is at an all time high. So, yes, th those are trends that are going to affect us and affect the church, no doubt about it. The other thing that we're uh, dealing with here in Gwinnett, but I believe statewide and I believe even countrywide, is we've had 
it, it appears about 4 million immigrants in the last 18 months. And I'm not making a political statement or judgment. It's just a reality. And so intercultural shifts or cultural shifts are going to affect us because as Anglos, as African-Americans, as Koreans, as Hispanics, we're, we're genuinely more comfortable with people we grow up with, that people are like us. But folks, the Great Commission says go and make disciples of, listen, all nations, not, mm. not everybody who's like you, not everybody who you're comfortable with. It gets uncomfortable. And we've got to wrestle with that. And what does that mean for our Bible study groups? What does it mean for our church? Uh, so that's another big issue that's, uh, again, our, sorry, we're on top of where I live, but it's coming to you, trust me, across uh, our state, across our country. I'll add one more thing. It's a minor issue, but maybe it's going to be an effect. It's what I'll call denominational neutrality. It's been, you know, emerging. I don't know how, what effect you guys could wait on that, what, how it's going to affect us in the future. Uh, but uh, no longer do Southern Baptists have a corner on the market uh, in, in the South. And so that may go back to the church hopping issue, probably relates to that also. That is a trend that's going to affect our work, I think, in the future. We've got to wrestle with that also. Matthew? And that's all good stuff. I don't know what I can add to that. A couple things I th I'm thinking about. Uh, something that's really in the news is what's going on in our denomination with some of the things that have come out recently. And I think that trend does affect how effective we are. Uh, as, as a denomination and, and continuing to grow and reach people uh, in the sexual abuse scandals and all those things. I think those are, are important to, uh, to think about and, and how we're viewed, you know, because people are asking, well, what you go to Baptist church, is that one of those Southern Baptist churches? And so I think that's, that's maybe a, a, a trend right now that we have to have to think about and address. Uh, I don't really have any empirical evidence on these others. They're just more experienced actually being in the local church. And I don't know that these are necessarily new trends, but they just seem to be impacting the ministry here. Uh, people are incredibly busy. I mean, incredibly, probably overscheduled in their lives. Uh, and, and we've realized that in trying to reach people and, and engage them and get them connected here at the church. And so one of the things that uh, we have done is we begin to think really creatively and outside the box when we're connecting people to small groups uh, which is a huge part of our, our strategy, small groups, discipleship groups, uh, Sunday school classes. And so, you know, although, you know, Alan Taylor always said Sunday school's still sexy and, and Sunday morning's still prime time, we realize that it's not the only time. It's mm, good. As we, as we begin to really try to, to make an impact in our community and our county, county we, we realize that, you know, people's, uh, uh, opportunity to connect with others may not just be on Sunday morning. Uh, and I'll give you an example of something that my wife and I have done recently. Uh, we had connected with a, a number of, of young marrieds and, and, and uh, couples that are engaged, no kids, and uh, they were looking for some biblical community. But Sunday morning, Sunday school time just wasn't working for a lot of them. Some of them served here, others their work schedule to permit them to be here every Sunday morning, that kind of stuff. So uh, we talked about it and prayed about it. And we said, you know, why don't we just give Tuesday night to the Lord and we'll, we'll start a life group, which is what we call our Sunday schools here on Tuesday nights for what we call newlyweds and nearlyweds. And uh, we have 15 couples in the last six weeks that mm. we have in and out of our house. We meet every Tuesday night. They come at 630. We, we have like last night was Mexican night. So everybody brings Mexican food. 
and we eat for half an hour. And then, then I teach a lesson I teach on Sunday morning. So I teach the same lesson that I taught Sunday morning on, on Tuesday night. And some of them will stick around on 930 sometimes at night, just talking about things and going on their lives and stuff. And we love it. We, we would not give it up for anything now. And so it's just being creative and thinking outside the box, recognizing the trend of people busyness and just saying, are, are we willing to make some sacrifices to connect with people? And I think churches are going to have to start thinking outside the box to do those. Wow. Kind of things. That is so good. The only thing that I would add to that gentleman, I'm sitting here taking notes as you're, you guys are speaking, just thinking, my goodness, this is, is so strong. I, I do see this. And, and if you guys, maybe see a difference here. I would welcome you to push back. This is my perspective. I see people moving from churches um, to churches who are more diverse and churches that are trying to reach their community. Now, I saw this during the pandemic. Matter of fact, I even saw church people who were members of other churches begin to give money to churches who were trying to reach their community during COVID and then were trying to be uh, reach the diversity that was around them. And uh, just a strange phenomenon there, but people moving to churches who are more diverse and reaching the community. A second one that you guys have hit, so I won't spend a lot of time, but being creative, giving creative options for engagement and service, I think it's going to win the day. And I don't think that's changed, Steve. I think that's for those who of us who've tried to do that for the, you know, the last several decades, giving people creative options is just, it's fun. It's good. It's engaging. I know a church in Louisiana where I had left first Houghton, they have several guys who own and operate heavy equipment, excavators, track hose, back hose, bulldozers. And they got together and said, you know what? We're not real good at preaching, but we can handle big equipment. So why don't we go on this, on the property the church owns across the road. They brought all their heavy equipment out there and had a heavy equipment um, class where people could come and drive, which is just for us as men, that was just like big toy day. Yeah. And they, so they went out there teaching those guys how to hit, handle that heavy equipment and giving the gospel. And in the first three weeks they saw, I think it was either six or seven of those men saved who were not attending anywhere, had never been church attenders, but it was just creative ways to engage people, to give their people an opportunity. It wasn't led by the pastor. It was led by people in the pew. So just this fun stuff there. Here's another one. I would say a focus on people more than programs I think is always going to prove more successful. We are coming out of my era of those, you know, 80s, 90s and beyond, where it was a big emphasis on programs. And I think there's a place for it, but we've got to focus on people connecting in the church, but also connecting with Jesus in a daily one-on-one. -on -one. And then, you know, the most obvious thing that I see, gentlemen, is this. Every church just needs an intentional plan to disciple their people. You cannot assume that if you can get them into worship, that you're doing your job and we're making disciples and we're disciple making church. I mean, my lifetime has proven that that's just not going to work. So any final remarks here before we jump, before we close up, Steve? Brother, I, I just want to encourage our pastors and leaders who are watching this. It says a lot for you that you're watching this, that you want to grow and uh, leadership and growth go hand in hand. And that is the key. Uh, the way you grow your congregation is you grow yourself. And so thank you for watching, and uh, I, I hope this was a blessing to you. You've been a blessing to us by watching this webinar. Thank you so much. So much. And Steve, one last thought. 
I know you've got things you're working on and people are going to want to know, Hey, where can I get more information on Steve or where can I get him to come speak? Where can they find you on the internet, on social media? And yeah. do you have any projects happening? Well, thank you. Uh, go to www.stevepar.net and you'll find uh, leadership articles free there. A book's worth literally you can read just day by day. You can train yourself in drips and leadership and uh, look at those articles. Uh, the why they stay, what keeps kids connected in church. There's a free video training, uh, four hours worth. You can do it in small groups over eight or 10 weeks. It is no cost to you. You can find my books there. Love for you to uh, tap into my books and read those and let those be a blessing. And I'm excited. I'm working on now in 2023, Giants, Kings, and Psalms will be released uh, spring next year. It is going to be phenomenal. It'll come also with free Bible study materials at giantskingpsalms.com or .net. Uh, we'll be releasing that. That has not opened yet. That website has not, but it will be. But watch for Giants, Kings, and Psalms. And uh, you can hear probably guess David in the Psalms is what mm -hmm. it's uh, built around. And it's going to be just a great, great blessing to Bible study leaders and to believers in general in their devotional lives. So uh, yeah. uh, thank you for, again, uh, all your support through the years and your continued support as I continue to equip leaders here in my network of churches but also uh, anywhere that I can to be a blessed to people. I'm so thankful. That's Thank you, great. Scott. Thank you. That's Matthew. great. And I look forward to reading it myself. And friends, I want to leave you with a, just a thought because God's not looking for awesome. He's looking for available. He desires people who will do what they know and to put into practice what they've learned. If you don't know what to do, surround yourself with people who do know what to do and that can challenge and inspire you to find the answers. And we built out learning communities all over Georgia for those of you in Georgia for you to have and access a platform to be with people like that. And also, let me just encourage you, work hard and lean on the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, he's going to guide you to the answers that you seek, and he'll provide you the power that you need. Steve Parr, Matthew Gibbs, thanks for being awesome and sharing today. Thank thanks you. Let's be there. Lana Melting, John Graham, thanks for producing. And I want to remind our listeners that we're only able to do this because you give generously to the cooperative program. So thanks so much for doing that. And I pray that today's discussion with Steve Parr and Matthew Gibbs will equip and inspire you to make world impacting disciples. Thanks for listening. We want to continue the conversation from today's broadcast in a learning community near you. These learning communities are designed to celebrate your biggest wins, resource your greatest need, and help you finish well. We also want to give you a free gift, the five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple makers. You can download this resource by going to ministryboom.com. This five-page PDF is a discipleship alignment checklist. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptists to the cooperative program. For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, visit gabaptist.org discipleship. Engage with us on your time through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and all podcast platforms. Lastly, if you've benefited from this conversation today, please share this with a friend as we seek to help churches make world-impacting disciple makers.